0: Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information.
1: This week's episode is brought to you by Goldman Sachs Asset Management ETFs. Smart investments made simple. Learn more at gsam.com slash ETFs. Alps Distributors Inc. is the distributor of the Goldman Sachs ETF funds.
2: Now, it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF
1: Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me this week will be Tom Lydon, vice chairman of Betify, who is just back from the Future Proof Festival in Huntington Beach, California last week. This looked like a fantastic time. I was very disappointed I couldn't make it out there. But if you haven't heard of this, this is a new wealth management festival put on by Advisor Circle and the Ritholtz crew. They're essentially trying to flip the old advisor conference experience on its head. That's why it's called a festival, and it looks to me like they were pretty successful in doing that. So we'll hear from Tom on his experience there and see if he had any big takeaways including on the ETF side. And then from there, we're just gonna go around the horn on several recent stories, including a new ETF investor survey out from uh, Charles Schwab, which I'm not sure the results of this were all that surprising directionally, but the magnitude of the positive responses to some of these poll questions, I think bodes really well for the ETF space moving forward. So we'll tell you about those. And then we'll also discuss the ETF entrance last week of Alliance Bernstein. Uh, We'll look at the latest SPIVA scorecard, which of course measures how well active managers have been performing. And then I also want to touch on the financial markets. Uh, I feel like Tom always has a very nice perspective on what's going on here. And you look this year, the S&P 500 is now down over 17%. Broad bonds, broad bonds are down over 12%. 12%. 12%. It's been uh, tough sledding. And of course the Fed meets tomorrow. So we'll have a conversation around that. Now also joining me this week will be Michael Auerbach, founder and chief investment officer of Subversive Capital, who earlier this year, they launched the Subversive Metaverse ETF. The ticker symbol is PUNK, P-U-N-K. And we'll certainly take a look at that ETF. But some of you may have seen these filings last week from Subversive that got a lot of attention. One was for the Unusual whales Subversive Democratic Trading ETF, ticker Nancy N-A-N-C as in Nancy Pelosi. And then the uh, Unusual whales Subversive Republican Trading ETF, ticker CRUZ, K-R-U-Z as in uh, Ted Cruz. And the idea behind these is to uh, mimic congressional trades which some think are not quite above board, a little uh, insider trading there. And so the thought is maybe there's an opportunity for uh, outperformance. And then with subver- Subversa, not only uh, those ETF filings, I was looking over the weekend, they have several other filings, including for a uh, mental health ETF and some others. And while well, I know Michael can't speak directly to these because he is in a quiet period with the SEC, we will talk about his overall ETF roadmap moving forward, which I'm very interested in hearing about. It just looks like Subversive wants to be a real player in uh, thematic ETFs. As always, questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter at Nate NateGeraci, or you can go to ETFprime.com. Let's chat with Vetify's Tom Leiden.
2: Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time.
3: This is a challenging time, probably the most challenging in 30 years, coming out of the financial crisis, 600 billion in ETF assets. They're starting to understand that there's more opportunity outside of those major market indexes.
1: Tom, I was so bummed that I couldn't make it out to Future Proof last week. How was it?
3: It was great, Nate. It was made for you. Uh, you know, the beach, IPAs, barbecue, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. I know you'll be there next year.
1: I uh, will. It looked uh, very colorful. You know, seeing the the pictures out on Twitter, you couldn't help but, uh, you know, have them catch your attention. Just the colorful tans. It just it really did look like a festival.
3: It was. It, you know, it was great. I mean, you gave a little background, the, the folks at Advisor Circle, you know, Matt Middleton, John Swolves, Matt Hogan, who are our partners in exchange, and also the team over at Ritholtz, you know, Barry Ritholtz, Josh Brown, Mike Batnick, Ben Carlson, and their dynamic team. You know, they're managing over $3 billion right now. But collectively, they took a pretty big risk. Nate, I'm, I'm not sure you know, but I live in Huntington Beach. On the weekend <laughs> on the weekends I'm walking by this location all the time and they they use it for a lot of things. you know, van sets up skate shows, they pro volleyball out there, dog shows. I, I'm I wasn't sure if these guys could pull off a financial festival, but they did it in spades. I mean the, the stages were beautifully laid out, meeting places, colorful exhibit tents, uh, live podcasts, food trucks all over the place with any type of food you can imagine but they did it they did it just right it was great
1: well in terms of the content that was there i mean obviously there's a lot going on in the financial markets i know there's a lot of clearly innovation happening within the uh, financial advisory space technology those sorts of things did you have any major takeaways anything that really stood out to you at the conference
3: well the big thing that stood out to me is that i'm really old because the average <laughs> the average attendee there was about 35 which was great because there's a new generation of financial advisor out there and they've got a voice and they've got a strong voice and they have a diversified voice and you could see that throughout the conference you could see it in the conversations you could see it on stage um it was edgy it was risky it was all around Connecting advisors with their clients and their employees, and celebrate uh, celebrating how advisors do it today. And and it's not the way you and I grew up and with the traditional build out of an advisor and in their community and their business. But everybody has got their own niche and their own way about doing things, and that was celebrated in the conference. So, you know, there are things like. Obviously, ESG, climate change, was, was uh, you know, front and center. But there are also things like Brian Portnoy was talking to advisors about the importance of telling stories and how to tell stories. You know, We grew up in the financial advisor business, and, and it was all about the facts, and it was all about sales, and it was all about bringing uh, clients on board. It was all about following the discipline. It was all about structure. Today, it's all about creativity and finding the right clients for your practice and being encouraged to do so. So it was great. Now, now I would say it was a little toasty at the beginning. It it was a little hot out there, and it was uh, teed up as business casual as far as the attire. But pretty quickly, people threw their suits off, and they were in shorts, t-shirts, sundresses, shades, which really made it fun.
1: Well, I know this wasn't uh, obviously an ETF-focused conference, as you mentioned. That'll be uh, Exchange next February. But I'll I'll ask you, just because this is an ETF-focused podcast, was there anything at all specific to the ETF space that caught your attention uh, at uh, FutureProof?
3: There were a lot of innovative strategies there, um, but also making sure that you're bringing out what's best for this environment. you know, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, Simplify has their pink ETF that they really put forward in a big, big way with the idea that breast cancer is a, 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 a big concern today. Uh, the Coleman Foundation that they partner with there, really, really keen and critical. and uh, there were pink t-shirts all over the place. I know they're talking about doing a walk in Newport Beach in a couple of weeks. Uh, really important. Vanguard was there in a huge way, spending a lot of time talking about the importance of fixed income, educating advisors who after 30 years of declining rates are seeing trouble on the fixed income side, but really educating advisors about new and innovative opportunities there. Uh, The ETF industry just naturally, I think, because of the Ritholtz crew and the Advisor Circle crew and their history in the ETF space were sprinkled all over the place. But also you could see financial technology companies really embrace with the idea that this next generation is leaning on technology to help them do a better job in managing portfolios and being more streamlined in their offices.
1: I I thought you said it really well earlier. I mean, the bottom line from my perspective is, is you're right. The game is changing here. The financial advisory profession is changing. This isn't our grandfather's. Financial advisory uh, business or, or profession. And you are seeing advisors really lean into technology and really try to uh, use creativity in terms of how they uh, educate clients and find the right clients for their practice. And again, I think that was uh, all reflected, at least what I saw on social media. And uh, again, I certainly look forward to being there next year. To, to your point, also, I mean, huge credit to Advisor Circle and the, uh, the Holtz crew. I mean, I, I think a highly impressive feat to pull off what they did. I, I can only imagine the amount of work and planning that went into that, and I'm sure it'll be uh, even better next year, so congratulations yeah. to them. Yeah, you
3: know, it, it was great, Nate, and one final thing that you, you saw as soon as you got there, it wasn't only a young crowd, but it was a diverse crowd. Diverse in the audience, diverse on stage, and everybody had an equal voice, and everybody was there and had a part of it. And, and you know, they, they set a new bar for the industry and for the conferences that I think future conferences will be measured against. You know, we're taking notes. Uh, we're gonna take their lead in many areas and in ways that we're gonna try to upgrade uh, exchange in February next year. And um, it's, just, it's just really, really exciting, especially coming on the back of COVID to be able to do something innovative like this. Uh, it was a joy to be there.
1: All right. So while you were uh, enjoying the beach last week, <laughs> the, uh, the ETF world did not stop. And so what I want to do is I thought it'd be fun just to go rapid fire on several topics that popped up last week. While well, you had a, uh, a, a pina colada in hand and I know you're all caught up now so you can speak to these uh, these various topics. So, uh, look, I'm going to tee up a, a topic you can offer a hot take and we'll just go from there with a the conversation. Does that work for you? That's great. Okay. So first, I, I do want to ask you about this new Charles Schwab ETF study that came out last week. They do this every year. I think this was the uh, 11th year. And basically, they survey a thousand investors who have bought or sold ETFs over the past two years. And then they survey a thousand investors who haven't. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's a ton of data here. I, I think we could spend the entire podcast going through the survey. But I'll give you what I thought was the headline results here, and then maybe we can touch on a few of the other results as well. So listen to this. Schwab found that 93% of ETF investors expect to purchase ETFs in the next two years, and 41% of non-ETF investors expect to do the same. Now, the 93%, I don't think that was any big surprise. I I would expect most current ETF investors to want to buy more ETFs, but, but Tom, that 41% number, that's a big number for non-ETF investors. And so maybe you can comment on that. And then I'd just be curious if anything else stood out to you in the uh, survey.
3: Well, you kind of teed it up early. It's it's not a big surprise that ETFs are the investment vehicle of choice of today's investors, whether you are a baby boomer like me or if if you're a millennial. But it's definitely skewing towards millennials. We know baby boomers were brought up in the mutual fund world. Many of us hold mutual funds that we've had for decades. But we're also seeing flows tell us that things are skewing more towards ETFs. Uh, money's coming out of mutual funds at one point in time. And I'm sure you've seen Dave Nodig's chart. ETFs will surpass assets in mutual funds. And this is one of those years, Nate, that I I don't want to derail the conversation, but quickly, we're seeing challenges in fixed income, challenges in equities, flows coming out of mutual funds. In order to re- meet redemptions, portfolio managers are going to have to sell low co- cost basis stock. So we're going to have one of those years where we may have negative returns in equity mutual funds with pretty sizable capital gains. And advisors are are smart to this, they're on it. And they're already doing tax loss harvesting. And where's money going from the mutual funds are selling, it's going into ETFs. And we're going to be talking a lot about that in the next couple of months.
1: Yeah. And you know, we've seen that time and time again, I've talked a lot about uh, this on the podcast. I mean, go back to 2008 in, in the financial crisis, and we saw active mutual funds underperform. And in my mind, that was really the catalyst to uh, jumpstart the movement towards ETFs. Then you fast forward to 2018 when the Fed tried to hike rates and the S and P 500 was down like 20 percent in the in the back half of the year into uh, into Christmas. What did we see then? Flows accelerated into ETFs. We saw it during the COVID crash of March uh, of 2020. Right? We had the the, the what 33 34 uh, percent move down pretty quickly, and then following that. We saw a rush of flows into ETFs, ended up being a record year following that. And I think we're seeing more of that this year. And to your point, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, I think advisors have wisened up on the tax side where they, they, if they're owning an active mutual fund, not only is the fund down, then they get a tax bill on top of that and they're going, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, there's got to be a better way here. I think you see advisors who are just tax loss harvesting where maybe they have been in active uh, funds, especially on the bond side, just given the carnage in the bond space. So they're selling out of those active bond funds and looking around and saying, hey, here's a low cost uh, option uh, in the ETF space that I can utilize. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons. And we can talk later. I want to talk about the uh, SPIVA scorecard because I think this plays into it as well. But um, yeah, you know, this type of market environment, I actually think is really beneficial to ETFs. And as I looked at this Schwab survey, I'll give you a couple other uh, data points and you can comment on on them if you want. But 80% of investors who have purchased an ETF over the past two years said ETFs are their investment vehicle of choice. That's up from 71% last year. So I mean, 80% of investors who have purchased an ETF, ETFs are their preferred investment vehicle. Um, ETFs now make up 33% of ETF investor portfolios, that's up from 27% five years ago. And that's expected to go to 40% in the next five years. Uh, You touched on millennials. I mean, the survey did find that younger investors are big users uh, of ETFs. Obviously, that bodes well for future ETF growth. So that's, you know, as I looked at the survey, again, I don't know that anything necessarily surprised me, maybe just because I, I know you and I cover the space so closely. But it's such confirmation to what's going on here. And I, I just don't see the growth slowing down anytime soon.
3: No, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, they were opportunistic in this uh, study as well, where they were pushing their direct indexing. Uh, right. and, and, you know, that will come for many good reasons. I, I think uh, advisors with that technology, especially if you happen to custody at Schwab, utilizing that for specific advisors It's virtually free to be able to do that um, is a nice option, too. I mean, look, ETFs are the investment vehicle of choice for all the right reasons, and there's more optionality than ever. And if you can layer in some greater technology to do a better job with client portfolios, um, Schwab's in a great spot.
2: And now a word from iShares. The shift to a low-carbon economy is changing the way people invest. iShares Sustainable ETFs help you position your portfolio to manage sustainability-related opportunities and risks, such as climate change. Get your share of progress at iShares.com sustainable. Visit iShares.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully before investing. Risk includes principal loss. There is no guarantee any fund will exhibit positive or favorable sustainability characteristics. Prepared by BlackRock Investments, LLC. All
1: right. So on the topic of uh, continued ETF growth, another big story last week was the ETF entrance of Alliance Bernstein. Uh, They launched two fixed income ETFs, the AB Ultra Short Income ETF, ticker symbol year, uh, which I think is a great ticker. And then The AB Tax-Aware Short-Duration Municipal ETF, ticker T-A-F-I. And it's funny, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Alliance Bernstein, they sort of went with a uh, military theme. So if you go to their website, and I tweeted this out, they have Echo Tango Foxtrot, like for ETF. And then their tagline is, AB ETFs on active duty. So I I thought that was a creative But in their press release, Tom, uh, they said these are the first of what will be many active ETFs from them. And you look this year, you you and I've talked about this uh, previously. Active ETFs are clearly where fund companies are seeing a lot of opportunity. Uh, So any quick thoughts on Alliance Bernstein getting involved here? I, I mean, we're talking about a nearly $700 billion asset manager.
3: Well, it's a great opportunity. Noel Archer, who heads up that group, and I, I think you know, you know Noel, uh, he ran the State Street ETFs before coming over to AB. Uh, smart team. They grabbed a bunch of all-stars from the space to build out their team. We spent some time on the phone last week, and like you said, this is just the start. They're going to be moving into the equity space. And why are they doing that? Because their clients are asking them to. So they are a great active manager. Uh, the tax efficiencies in ETFs, their investment style makes sense. And kind of back to what we were talking about before, there are a lot of people that are just unhappy with their managers these days. If you're not uh, pulling your weight on the active side, and especially as we're we're going to dive into the SPIVA report, we're seeing that passive, uh, the blooms off the rose a little bit there too, as more people are moving into active management, they're launching at the right time, and they're going to do it in their own unique way. Uh, Hence the branding that's coming with that. So watch them, they're going to be a big player. um, And they're 110% committed to the space.
1: Yeah. And to your point on clients asking for uh, for ETFs, I saw in their press release, Noel said, uh, ETFs have evolved into an important execution tool across asset classes, and amidst the uh, the recent market volatility, we feel it is critical to offer our clients diversity and efficiency. So I, I think that says it pretty well. And again, you look this year, I, I mean, Capital Group, Double Line, Matthews Asia, Newberger Berman. We have uh, Morgan Stanley coming in here later this year. I mean, these are enormous names, a, a ton of assets that are now getting involved in the space. And I know, it sounds like we're beating the same drum, but to me, it's just such a tailwind for the growth of the uh, the ETF space. Um, okay, go ahead.
3: No, it just it just gets better, Nate, and it's great having these new players in. But you know what? Uh, it's new to them, and they have to retool. Hence, they're billi- bringing in all these companies, are bringing in experts from the ETF space, and uh, they're having to perform lobotomies at their companies to unlearn the way things were done in the past because the, the ETF world's completely different. And we've, no, we've all noticed that, right?
1: Well, and they're also bringing in new investors, right? Because some of these investors, take somebody like Capital Group, maybe the, some of these investors have only been in American funds in, in the past. And now with Capital Group offering ETFs, they're being exposed there. And so to me, that gets into a whole nother conversation around the importance of ETF education. And clearly, this is something that Vetify is highly focused on. You know, it's something that I'm highly focused on. But that's only going to make the need for that even greater uh, as we bring in new investors who just haven't been in the space before. Again, that 41% of uh, non-ETF investors from the Schwab survey who are now going to be looking to use ETF. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Um, okay, on the note of active ETFs, last week, we did get the most recent SPIVA scorecard. Uh, this is the mid-year 2022 report. And for people who aren't familiar with this, SPIVA stands for S&P indices versus active. And in a nutshell, this uh, scorecard measures the performance of actively managed funds versus their benchmarks. And again, Tom, this is another topic we could easily do an hour long podcast on. But I'll just give you the, the, the headline stats here, which is that uh, it, basically active funds are, are actually performing much better recently. So 45% of large-cap funds outperformed their benchmark over the one-year period ending in June, and 49% outperform for the first six months of this year. And those numbers were fairly similar uh, across mid- and small-cap funds. And so, again, we were just talking about these big active shops getting involved in ETFs. Do you think... Uh, active is making a comeback? Is it possible they can keep these numbers up for a few years? And and for listeners, when we can talk about this, Tom, you may hear, well, you know, 45% or 49%. That doesn't sound so great. That's much better than what it had been over the past, you know, decade plus.
3: Well, right. Uh, You know, for the last 10 and 20 years, the number's been, you know, 7% that have outperformed. So passive has just crushed active over the last 10 and 20 years. So That's a $64,000 question, Nate. Can they keep it up? But with challenges in equities and challenges in fixed income, challenges in world economies, maybe there's opportunities for good managers to be in the right spots. That's what we think. And that's what a lot of these new players to the space are thinking because all the passive strategies, all those landscapes are already claimed. Uh, You're not going to come in with a passive strategy today and expect to get any money. You're going to come in with an active strategy and try to set yourself apart. Now's the time to be able to do that. Will that continue? We just don't know. That's, that's the big question. However, that's what a lot of these companies like Neuberger, Berman, Alliance, Bernstein, Morgan Stanley, that's what they're banking on. And uh, we'll see if they can continue to do that. Um, I, th- I think also when you look at that SPIVA report, It really is true. I mean, long term, we know the average investor left to their own devices lets their emotions run. They don't have necessarily the discipline. They're not necessarily great stock pickers. So buying long term indices and holding them over time has made sense. And the ETF industry has done a good job um, making sure that advisors and investors don't operate with their stomachs. They're using their brains. Technology has done a good job to be able to bring uh, portfolio performance to your phone so you can see what you're doing on a regular basis. It, 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 it's all coming into pass. And I think about you know, my kids that are in their 20s that have ETFs, and they're not making the stupid mistakes that I made when I was in my 20s. Uh, and so that's good. It, it's good for investors today, and I think it will continue to be so. My big concern is if we have a run of two or three years where active does beat passive, we're going to see that pendulum shift and people are going to start to be uh, stock cowboys again. And and that's not a good thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, to your point, to put some hard data around the longer term performance here, uh, it, I, I pull from this report, only 10% of large cap active managers, 20% of mid cap managers and 9% of small cap managers. Have outperformed over the past 10 years. So, you know, that shows you the challenge. Now, I will say one of the reasons that's been pointed to why performance is better this year is there's been a much higher dispersion of returns among stocks. And so that makes uh, stock picking more beneficial, whether that's by skill or by luck, just having that high dispersion uh, it makes it easier to outperform. And interestingly, the last time we saw this type of dispersion was 2009 that incidentally happened to be the last year large cap funds outperformed when 52% beat their benchmark. So to, to your point, Tom, we'll see if they can keep it up. I, I guess one thing that I find interesting, you know, we were just discussing the uh, the, the continued growth of ETFs, both in that Schwab survey, and then with uh, Alliance Bernstein entering ETFs. I wonder if something has to give here. So, So like if these active ETFs, run into the same performance challenges we've seen historically from most active mutual funds, does that become a headwind for ETFs as a whole? Just because there has been outsized growth from active ETFs, as I mentioned, that's where uh, I think a lot of asset managers see opportunity. I I just wonder, uh, you know, can that remain a a tailwind for ETFs? Or if the performance isn't there, is it just going to further propel index-based ETFs? Does that make sense? It's kind of an interesting conundrum there.
3: Well, it is. But, uh, you know, Nate, we're having another good year in flows. We're over 400 billion. We're, you know, on a pace to be the second biggest year in flows for ETFs. Even though in the first four months of the year we saw net redemptions in fixed income ETFs, uh, fixed income flows have come back in spades. So I, I, I guess um, it, it, it is till it isn't anymore. Um, it is the best game in town. So as we continue to see, you know, the economy, although slowing a bit, people are making money and they're being prudent and they're putting money away. Back to the Schwab survey, uh, ETFs are the investment vehicle of choice. So you got a lot of choice there. If as long as you diversify, it's great. And look, if you want to get in with some of the hot hands of the active managers and, and they will have their day and they may run for a while, which will be great. The good thing is, there's a, there's a lot of choice. The tax efficiency, the low cost. It's just you know maybe you and I need to spend more time divvying up the marketplace and educating um, investors more on some of their choices. Uh, but there are also some great advisors out there that are doing just that.
1: Well, and I'll I'll add to what you just said. I mean, you mentioned the low cost and tax efficiency. If we're talking about active ETFs specifically and what that's gonna look like moving forward. Obviously having lower costs uh, of, of ETFs and then having a greater tax efficiency, that's going to lower the hurdle to beat the benchmark. And so compared to active mutual funds, you know, we can debate all day long the value of active management. I agree with you. Ultimately, it comes down to choice for investors and, and they can make that determination where they want to be. You know, I, I think the data speaks for itself, but the investor can make that decision. But one thing we do know is that lower costs are going to lead to, to, to better performance. And so at a very minimum for active managers using the ETF wrapper, I think they're going to have a head start, obviously, on on mutual funds in terms of getting that outperformance. Um, all right, Tom, just a couple of minutes left. Let's close by briefly touching on the financial market. So, of course, we have the uh, Fed meeting concluding tomorrow. they are expected to hike rates, uh, what, 75 basis points. And I know Vetify recently surveyed advisors on their uh, rate expectations all the way into 2023. So you and I were batting this back and forth a little bit on email. Do, do you mind, do you want to just give us the results of that? And then I would like to talk just a little bit more about the ETF impact here as well.
3: Yeah. um, The great thing is we're hearing from advisors every week as we survey them every week, poll them every week. And, you know, the big question was, what are your expectations for the Fed decision on interest rates over the next six to 12 months? And, you know, by far the the vast majority, 57 percent say, uh, keep raising rates into 2023 and and they're going to remain elevated Uh, About 37% said they'll pause after the next few FOMC meetings and remain elevated in 2023. Uh, So here's a couple things we've noticed. When uh, the Fed became more transparent about what they were doing, which happened to happen in late May and early June, all of a sudden the market stabilized. Coming off of that June 16th low, even though it didn't feel good to hear about the size of the rates and the number of the rate hikes that we might uh, see coming, advisors felt more confident because the Fed was more transparent about what they were doing. So we saw a rebound off the low in equities and more money flowing into fixed income as well because the Fed was clearer about it. So even though a 75 basis point hike is baked in for this week, Unless they surprise us with 100 100 points, I think that's good for the market. And as long as we maintain and stabilize above that June 16th low, and just get through this year, it will give the Fed at least some time to fight inflation. That's the number one concern. You know, we've talked about this for the last two years as we're surveying advisors regularly. They were way ahead of the curve as far as their concern about inflation and what that might mean to the economy and rate hikes, where at the same time, the Fed wasn't concerned about it or signaling that they weren't concerned about it. So what, what's the conclusion here? The more transparent and more honest the Fed is with, with Americans, the more confident and less concerned investors will be. And they'll they'll get through this for sure. But... I I think if there was a message and if you're sitting across the table from the Fed chair, it'd be like, look, we're adults. We can take the bad news. We know we need to take our medicine. Just be honest.
1: But let me ask you this. So I, I think all that makes perfect sense. And if you look at where investors are putting money, I mean, geez, Tom, we're over 400 billion in inflows into ETFs. A lot of those flows are going to what you would expect, the VOOs and the IVVs and VTIs. And those sorts of things. I, I guess what I'm curious about. I mean, do you think, do you think anything else has changed? Like, do you think we'll continue seeing these monster flows into shorter duration bond ETFs, or the big flows into more value oriented stocks? Even though the the Fed is perhaps offering more clarity, more transparency, advisors are still tailoring things underneath the surface. So, like, I'll give you a couple of examples. I was looking this morning, uh, the iShares one to three uh, year Treasury ETF. SHY, that's taken in nearly $6.5 billion this year. The JP Morgan Ultra Short Income ETF, JPST, that's taken in $3.5 billion this year. We can go back to our conversation with uh, Alliance Bernstein. I mean, look where they're launching, right? A shorter duration ETF with something like year. I'm just curious if you think, uh, you know, anything's changed there in terms of how advisors are looking at the market. Because if you can go and scoop up a 4% yield, you know, Close to risk-free or to, you know, minimal risk, that can look pretty attractive in this environment.
3: It can, and and Nate, that's a game changer. You know, w- w- before you know, money market funds, short duration, were paying next to nothing. That's 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 a real return. Well, it's it's not a real return in a you know eight percent inflation number, but it's it's so it's much more that
1: wasn't there before. It,
3: it wasn't there before, and and that's the thing. So in the meantime. As America and Americans continue to make money, they've got to put it somewhere. So being able to make something over that period of time, short durations hot right now. I mean, uh, let's say we do get close to 4%. I mean, we're seeing that uh, with, with the inversion of the yield curve and the two-year paying more than the 10-year right now, there's a lot of attractiveness in those short duration ETFs. And, uh, you know, everyone's waving their flag saying, come to me, come to me again, back to the whole choice thing. It's nice to get paid um, in money market funds for the first time, right?
1: Well, to your point with everybody waving the flag, I mean, think about some of the innovation we've seen recently. I saw last week bond blocks, they launched these uh, target duration treasury ETFs. Those hadn't been on the market before. You think about uh, FM investments who launched those single treasury ETFs, right, that target particular tenor on the uh, yield curve. You're seeing a lot of innovation here to allow advisors to get more surgical. And I think a lot of that is driven by what we're talking about here, just, uh, you know, trying to park in shorter duration uh, products. But Tom, we're going to have to leave it there. So much fun chatting as always. Uh, thank you for joining me this week. Thanks, Nate. Talk to you soon. That was Tom Leiden, vice chairman of Vetify
0: introducing capital group's new actively managed etfs a new suite of etfs brought to you by a company with a proven track record of long-term results a 90-year history of navigating ups and downs and everything behind it give your portfolio active management at the core explore what's behind our new active etfs at capitalgroup.com etfs american funds distributors inc member finra
1: I'm now joined by Michael Auerbach, founder and chief investment officer of Subversive Capital, who back in January launched their first ETF. It's called the Subversive Metaverse ETF, ticker symbol PUNK, P-U-N-K, great ticker. And this looks to me like it's just the beginning of what's going to be a number of products, given that Subversive currently has five ETFs in the hopper with the SEC, including two that caused... A uh, quite a bit of buzz last week. The unusual whale subversive Democratic trading ETF ticker Nancy N N-A-N-C, A N C is in Nancy Pelosi, and the uh, unusual whale subversive Republican trading ETF ticker Cruz K R U Z is in Ted Cruz. They also have filings for a uh, cannabis ETF that has what I would call an ESG spin to it. There's a decarbonization ETF, a mental health ETF and a food security ETF. So they're clearly targeting the thematic space coming out of the gate here. And Michael is now on the line with me from New York. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: Right. appreciate it. All right, so look, before we get to the uh, Metaverse ETF and your uh, future ETF plans, I thought it'd be good to talk more about Subversive because while you are new to the ETF space, you've been investing in emerging industries for nearly a decade now right? I show some 40 companies, six of which IPO-ed, four SPACs, over a half billion dollars of follow-on investment capital. So tell us more about the company, and I'd also love to hear a little bit more about your background as well.
4: Sure. Um, So I'm a commercial diplomat by trade. Um, I've been working for the former U.S. Secretary of State, Madeline Albright, um, for over a decade. Um, She recently passed away, um, and I'm still a, a partner and an executive at her firm, uh, Albright Stonebridge Group, which is a part of uh, Denton's Global Advisors, which is a which is a large uh, international consulting firm. Um, about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, I also launched subversive Capital as essentially a family office platform um, to invest in companies that uh, require some type of government relations or uh, regulatory uh, support uh, for to for the company to succeed uh, because that's my expertise is working with governments and uh, and regulators. And so we made our first big bet in the cannabis industry uh, back uh, 12, year, 12 years ago, 11 years ago, with uh, Privateer Holdings, which sent out companies like Tilray and Leafly, uh, which are, uh, Tilray was the first um, U.S. public company in cannabis on the NASDAQ, and Leafly went public a few months ago, um, and others. And then from there, we just diversified, and we invested in you know new types of metallurgy, transportation, like Hyperloop, um, we've invested in, uh, companies in the psychedelic space and other biotech companies, brain computer interfaces, a new, um, uh, a new, um, industry that we're looking heavily at. We're invested in a couple of brain computer interface companies. Um, you know, any, any company that sort of interacts with regulators is, uh, is sort of our bread and butter and sort of where, where we fit. So we're a private venture capital firm. Um, we've also done a couple of SPACs. Uh, two in the U.S. and two in Canada. Um, three of them have successfully de-stacked and are trading now. Uh, one of them will um, will stack in the next uh, in the next couple of months, um, but that deal has been announced. And we launched our first ETF, um, you know, just under a year ago with uh, with Punk, um, the Subversive Metaverse ETF. And you rightfully say that we've got another five on file. And the objective behind creating an ETF practice, a uh, registered investment advisor, as part of Subversive was to continue to have the conversation that we find so interesting around some of these emerging industries um, but to have it with um, with the public um, we think that you know we're picking themes that are really important um, to a set of investors that are looking to put money to work um, in a safer um, in a safer way than just picking individual stocks uh, and we're using these as a platform to have a, a larger conversation around food security and climate, um, and, um, and social justice when it comes to cannabis. Uh, and, you know, we just, uh, we just announced the the congressional ETFs, um, and looking at like, what kind of democracy do we want? Uh, we're the only democracy in the world that allows our elected officials to buy and sell individual stocks. And so we're using these as a platform to have a larger conversation with investors, um, and providing them with, um, with, the uh, you know, access to a safer investment platform with great
1: returns. Yeah. And can you expand on that just a little bit more? You know, it's interesting. Clearly, you're an entrepreneur at heart. And anytime I see a new entrant into the ETF space, which is an ETF entrepreneur, I always ask, well, what put you over the top to, to make that die? Because as you know, the ETF space, it's a tough business. It's highly competitive it's really difficult to have success doesn't mean you can't find it. It's just, it's a very tough business. So what put you over the edge to, to finally get involved in ETFs?
4: Yeah, we, so a couple of reasons. One, you know, during the sort of the height of the the bull market last year, a lot of money was going into, Um, some of the thematic ETFs, um, as well as like some of the larger players outside of the traditional ones like, um, that BlackRock has. So like the ARC ETFs. And, you know, listening to Bloomberg and CNBC and, you know, your podcast and others, um, it seemed to really focus on, um, on sort of ROI as the sole and only reason why someone should invest in a particular name or in a particular basket of names. Um, and I think we had a lot of particularly younger retail investors, or less sophisticated investors um, or new entrants to capital markets investing, um, really get excited about you know, Bitcoin's going to the moon, Tesla's going to the moon, and sort of all of these types of um, uh, narratives around investing. And it kind of, you know, bothered me because as an investor, obviously I want my investments to increase in value, but I also want my values to be embedded in my investments. And I'm not thinking about it from like an ESG perspective because I think that that's a completely different conversation. I'm thinking that, you know, Tesla makes a great car, um, but it's also a company that is, you know, has has a platform to do some really wonderful things to combat climate change. And so like when Kathy Wood gets on television, she's not talking about sort of the systemic issues around climate change and how that's affecting the world and affecting our society. And while investing in the electrification of vehicles or other climate-friendly transportation, um, you know, not only is it a good investment because this is where the market is going, um, but it's also really good for the environment. Um, and we're sort of at a tipping point when it comes to our climate. The same on food security or cannabis or whatever we're trying to get out there, we're trying to have a deeper conversation outside just um, the return on investment, and this is going to the moon and the rocket symbol and the moon and all that. And so we're trying to get away from that and have a bit more nuanced, sophisticated conversation with um, new entrants into capital markets and, you know, more sophisticated long-term investors um, that, you know, didn't seem to be happening last year. And particularly now that we're in a bear market, you know, the safest place to continue to invest um, should be in index funds, ETFs, and so... Um, we're looking to create, a, you know, a space for those investors um, to put some capital to work, um, particularly an important time in sort of the capital markets uh, um, uh, trajectory, uh, as we, you know, will probably be in the spare market for, for a little bit longer uh, before things get a little bit better in the capital markets towards the end of the year next year.
1: Okay, so I think that's the perfect jumping off point to get into your first ETF, which is a subversive metaverse ETF, again, ticker symbol, Punk. Um So I, I guess with a backdrop you just gave us, why start with a metaverse and then tell us about the ETF, which I know is actively managed?
4: Sure. So we, we first filed the two ETFs together, both the cannabis one and, uh, and the metaverse one. We delayed the cannabis one. Uh, we identified a new trust um, that would make it easier for us. It's a it's complicated, the cannabis ones, because they're U.S. companies, but they trade in Canada, and you need to do it as a swap. Um, and so it's just a more complicated uh, animal, so we've delayed it, um, and uh, we've refiled, and that will go effective soon. Um, so that's why we, uh, we only launched the one, which was the Metaverse one. Um, the Metaverse one, you know, we... We think that there's a really interesting we're in a really interesting time when it comes to, um, you know, how we consume and how we uh, consume information and sort of where we're headed when it uh, goes to a more immersive experience online, Um, whether it's medical or for pleasure or um, or music or video gaming. Uh, whatever it may be, there are large companies and small companies uh, building both the infrastructure, the application, um, and the way in which uh, we are going to transition from sort of a 2D digital life to a 3D digital life. Or not necessarily 3D, but more immersive, and that includes audio and augmented reality and virtual reality as a, sort of the, the minor component here. Um, and so we wanted to pick a basket of names that were really trying sort of over the long term to create these more immersive environments. And we think you know companies like Apple, and Google and Microsoft are really on the cutting edge. NVIDIA are really on the cutting edge of this, um, uh, this burgeoning industry. We also um, in, you know wanted to ensure that we were taking a, um, both a moral position and an investment decision when it came to meta platforms, or formerly Facebook. Um, And so we have a a single short position uh, that we launched with um, really, you know, we launched the ETF a few weeks before earnings where sort of the public, you know, really understood the severity of the losses uh, associated with them investing in their version of what um, uh, the next iteration of the internet will be, which is a version that we believe that most people do not want. Um, And we also wanted to ensure that, you know, our investors understood that, we do not believe that Facebook or Meta are good custodians of our digital lives, as we see with um, with a lot of the misinformation um, on the on the platform and the dangers that you know other platforms within Meta, like Instagram, um, are for our for our children, especially our young girls. Um, and we just wanted to ensure that we believe that people will continue to leave the platform, um, and advertisers will continue to leave the platform. Um, but we also believe that uh, Facebook is not um, is not the uh, the platform that is going to you know be the winner of uh, the digital future. Uh, there's not going to be one winner, but it's certainly not going to be Facebook.
1: That's highly interesting. So you're saying there's a singular short position in uh, in Meta? Or-
4: yes, we have a singular short position among our basket of names. Um, it's been you know since day one. We've increased that short position over over the course of the year um you know and uh, and we'll continue to have that on um at infinitum um until until you know meta either completely adjusts their business model um and their senior management
1: michael you, you sit at a really interesting spot just given what you do across your entire firm i'm curious what do you make of the uh, market environment around this space right now because if i look at the companies associated with your etf or really just the metaverse as a whole It's been a tough year, right? I mean, in some cases, their stock's down 50% plus. Uh, I think there are a lot of skeptics out there, especially when you start looking at the crypto side of things and how that ties into the the metaverse. I'm just curious, what's your overall assessment of everything we've seen this year?
4: Yeah, so you know, we, 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 we're sort of lucky, um, that, you know, are not lucky. I mean, sort of prescient, uh, if I don't mind to say it, um, to have that short position in Facebook because our competitors in sort of the metaverse ETF space, um, you know, usually their first or second position is meta, um, uh, because they're, you know, it's in the name. Um, and Mark has been, Mark Zuckerberg has been outspoken about what he thinks the metaverse is, which is a sort of ready player one dystopian world that nobody wants. Um, in terms of the other names, I think you know. if You just look at it from like a tech perspective. Tech stocks are down significantly um, in this bear market. Um, we think that there's, we think that there's, you know, uh, that many of them are, are trading at um, uh, at significant discounts, and you know, we'll we'll see those stocks rise in the future. Um, but the skepticism around the metaverse is is something that people that I take very seriously. Um, and so we see it very differently. Like, we do not think the metaverse is Horizons and Ready Player One and Bitcoin and blockchain. Um, you know, we we see the metaverse as just a more immersive uh, environment for um, your digital daily life. And that includes, you know, AirPods and headphones and audio. Um, it includes uh, what Apple's working on with augmented reality glasses. Um, it includes uh, more immersive uh, video game experiences and other media. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at what people are thinking about for sort of that. They're calling it Web3. We don't really call it Web3. It's just a natural extension of innovation when it comes to, you know, how we spend our attention. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how um, some of the platforms that aren't even public yet uh, or have access to the public markets yet um, will start to – will start to. Um, uh, evolve into uh, platforms that you know have more of a you know uh, you know a a modern approach or a, a more immersive approach to you know how we experience things. We're going to start to see it in things like telehealth, um, you know uh, how we how we interact with our how we interact with our physicians, um, you know just Covid in general, um how we've done meetings through Zoom, while, you know, just the the fact that our sort of mental space has changed the way that we interact with um, our friends and our colleagues, uh, because we've been spending so much time away from the office, away from um, other people. Uh, those experiences need to become more immersive and less 2D. Um, and uh, And we think that, you know, we're on a path to that. Uh, and we don't think that, you know, blockchain and crypto and, you know, uh, Horizons meetings uh, by Meta are what the metaverse is. So I think that there's a lot of there should be a lot of skepticism about the sort of the loudest voices talking about the metaverse. Um, but understand that, you know, our sort of general 2D sitting in front of a screen um, is not necessarily, you know, how we are going to spend our time um, on the Internet um, uh, over the coming decades
1: michael we only have a few minutes left here i mentioned at the uh, the top the other etfs that you have registered with the sec and as much as uh, our listeners would love to have you go into great detail especially on the uh, unusual whales etfs i know you can't speak directly to these uh, you're in a quiet period but what what more can you tell us about your future plans you started uh, explaining at the top kind of your overall view of the world I thought you did a great job of explaining how you're differentiated on the on the metaverse ETF. But can you just talk? You know, as I think about these other filings that you have out there, again the uh, the Democratic Trading ETF, the Republican Trading ETF, cannabis, decarbonization, food security, mental health. I, I'd love to have you just talk more about how you want to approach the ETF space moving forward. How, how do you want to differentiate here?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we will continue to file uh, and launch ETFs with certain themes. Um, And so, you know, right now it's climate, water, food security, mental health, uh, cannabis, social justice, um, and looking at, you know, how our congressional leaders and our elected officials, and it's not just Congress, right? Like, you know, federal judges trade individual stocks. Um, And Unusual Wales has done an incredible job of shining a light on what is happening in the only democracy in the world that allows this to happen. Um, and so we couldn't be happier to, um, to, to have them as part of the subversive family. Um, you know, we'll continue to look at themes that, uh, investors are looking to put money to work, um, obviously for a return on investment, uh, but also that, um, represents the values of our investors, um, and the type of world that they want to live in. Um, and so, you know, the, the world has become a bizarre place, both politically. Um, but also from a climate perspective, like, you know, we're, these, are, these are dark times, um, and we believe there's a role for the capital markets uh, to try to solve some of the systemic issues that, that, that we have, whether it's, um, whether it's on the social side or our climate um, or solving some world problems that, um, that you know, cap- the capital market space are uniquely positioned um, to help us with. Uh, and so we want to be at the forefront of those conversations Um, And we think uh, once we, you know, are able to scale this advisor, this RIA that we've uh, spun up with these ETFs, um, you know, I think uh, towards the end of next year, you'll see us as one of the more formidable uh, thematic ETF providers.
1: Well, Michael, I know uh, I, for one, am very interested to uh, track your ETF journey moving forward. Very intrigued by what you're doing here. Certainly wish you the best of luck on that journey. Thank you for joining me this week.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I look forward to when those uh, those new funds become effective. I'll come back on and we can talk
1: in more detail. Sounds great. That was Michael Auerbach, founder and chief investment officer of Subversive Capital. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, iShares. If you would like to learn more about iShares sustainable ETFs, you can visit iShares.com slash sustainable. Next week, I'll be joined in studio by Touchstone Investments, Rich Corner. So Touchstone entered the ETF market uh, just a couple of months ago with four active ETFs that are essentially clones of mutual funds they offer. So we'll discuss those. And then I'll also be joined by Innovator ETF's John Southard to cover defined outcome ETFs. Until then, have a great week, everyone.